The hour has come, we read. The hour has come to be glorified. This is what the Gospel of John has been wanting to talk about from the first chapter. In fact, in chapter 2 and 4 and 7, we read, the hour is not quite yet, and, and all along, the author of John has really been waiting for this moment. Jesus is about to move to a cross, and God's extravagant plan will be put in place, the hour for God to be glorified. Wasn't it just six, seven weeks ago we had the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloth? lying in a manger right here? Wasn't it just six or seven weeks ago we sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, a Savior is born for all people, Gloria in excelsis Deo? It's only been six, seven weeks since we had the infant right here in our arms, and, and today it's a full-grown Jesus ready to go to the cross, ready to change history. It's a little bit jarring. There's a lot of interesting conversation in the Christian community right now. Apparently, this season of Lent, this time when people pause and are quite reflective about the events leading up to the cross and how you, we might make room and embrace things in our life, this, uh, this season hasn't come so early since 1875. That, it came early that year, and it came early again in 1913. And as long as there are now records, till 2124, Easter won't be this early again. So it isn't just your imagination. Wasn't baby Jesus just right here wrapped in swaddling clothes? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So I'm asking, are your Christmas desert decorations even down? I, I announced first service that they were, but I gathered from the response that they aren't that our returns and exchanges have just been made at the store, that some of us have just be become acquainted with the scales again and put our exercise plans back into place. If you're a student, you've, you know, settled into the routine of studies and homework once again and showing up for class. Didn't we just have the holidays? And here we are, ready for Jesus to walk all the way to the cross. What we will do for this six or seven weeks is look at the relationships Jesus has with just a few people, six days. We'll take six weeks to look at six days and pay a particular attention to Jesus in relationship with about six or seven people here. Watching the relationships. Well, what can humans know about the divine? Well, during these six weeks, we'll watch, watching Jesus see what we learn about God, watching the humans around Jesus see what we learn about ourselves. For inside of all these relationships, there is an Easter story for us. What we read earlier on the screen this morning takes place in John chapter 12. If you want to open a Bible, we'll read there together. I believe this is the anchor relationship in all of the gospel story that we'll read about, the anchor relationship between Jesus and God beginning with verse 20 in John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew, in, in turn, told Jesus, which, by the way, in the Gospel of John, it certainly seems to work this way. Rather than a group of 12 or more going out together, the Gospel story, the question seems to go from one person to the next to the next. 
in a little bit different fashion in John, just like this. Someone talked to Philip, Philip talked to Andrew, Andrew talked to Jesus. We don't know for sure who these Greek-speaking Jews are, but probably they've come from other areas, much like coming from Baghdad to the United States. Only your advantage is we speak the same language, and uh, lucky because you learned, we speak the same language. We don't hear anything else about these Greek-speaking Jews. Again, they wander onto the scene almost as if to introduce this turning point, the hour has come. And we don't even know what happens to them. We don't even know if they're present for the conversation. It's difficult to tell. But they are the ones who ask the question. They wanted to meet Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, and the person who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and wherever I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. The hour for the Son of Man to be glorified, a wheat kernel falling and it dies. These are statements about Jesus. The others, however, follow me, be honored by God, lose your life, serve me. Those are statements about us, about the humans. And that's often also another pattern. Watch for it now, these six or seven weeks in the Gospel of John. Something stated about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, and then something about the humans some invitation usually to follow after, to model our lives after something. Verse 27, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, they said, they said it sounded like thunder, and others said an angel had spoken to them. And there is confusion. Is it thunder? Is it an angel? It doesn't quite sound like thunder. I'm not sure that was the voice of an angel. What was that? As quickly as Jesus is in trouble and begins his prayer, Father, what should I do? As quickly as all of that happens, there's confusion among the crowds, those who are listening. What was that that just happened? What just took place? They don't really seem to know. It was like thunder, but it wasn't thunder. It was like an angel, but it's, it's not an angel. It's confusing. How can we know things from above when we live here below? That's a major conversation in the book of John. How can we? We're just human. Look at how confusing it is. Was it thunder? Was it an angel? How come Revelation has to be so ambiguous? Why can't it be clear? Why can't we all get it at the same time? Why can't we all get the same message at the same time? The Bible, the Gospel of John in particular, is a fabulous example. Revelation is not always clear. We don't usually all understand it and get it at the same time. Just like here in our relationships down below, we, we're not so clear either, are we? The revelations between our, you and me and us and in our relationships. We had in our house, um, as many of you did, Valentine's celebration. A little cross in communication, I think. <laughs> I told Kirby, I really don't want chocolate this year. Don't, don't buy me any chocolate. I love chocolate, by the way. Don't get me wrong. 
I, I love chocolate, but you know what? I, do you do this? I take a candy out of the box and I bite into it, just one little bite. And you look and see what you got. And then I put it back. Do you do that? You do that? Joy, nobody wants our leftover chocolate. So when company comes and you offer them your box of chocolates, they're all half eaten. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know where I started that with my mom's first box of Valentine's and I snuck one out and I just really didn't like what I was tasting. Don't buy me chocolates. I said, don't buy me chocolates. And he said, okay, all right, we won't, we won't do a big celebration this year. No chocolates, no flowers. I didn't say no flowers. No, I want flowers. Oh, okay, no chocolate, but yes, we have to be very clear, clear communication. So then I gave him a card. I did get my flowers, by the way, beautiful. I gave him a card, and I didn't realize for two days that, that we had a crossing communication over the card. I thought this was a charming card. A good man is hard to find. And it sings a little song. It's raining men. He reads, a good man is hard to find. And he hears that song. And he doesn't understand the little message on the inside. And for two or three days, he carries this around. And I finally said, did you like your card? And he said, what was that? <laughs> what? He said, a good man is hard to find. Does that mean you haven't found him or you're still looking? <laughs> no, read the inside. It says, yeah, but, but, but the other kinds, they're pretty much every, It means I got one of the good. Oh, how could it be that confusing? You see, we don't do so much better among ourselves, do we? Sending messages and receiving messages. Even more so when crossing the divine human barrier, even more so when reading them out of our Bible. Why does Revelation have to be so ambiguous is one question I have. When we get to heaven, we'll be asking God that. Revelation is not always clear. It's one of the reasons we ought to do it together in community. Because then nobody runs away with a strange interpretation and wanders around for weeks and years thinking, that's the wrong thing. Revelation belongs in community, and we ask the questions together. Was it an angel? Was it thunder? I don't think it was thunder. I don't think it was an angel either. What was it we heard? Sometimes we won't know what that message was. Revelation won't always come clear to us. There won't always be community consensus on everything either. But what is interesting to me is that that theme in the Gospel of John just keeps coming and going. In fact, it isn't just over noises, it's, it's over what they see. You watch for this in the characters and the stories we'll read, even what's come up to John 12. People see something, yet they don't believe. The miracle happens right behind, in front of their eyes, yet they still don't believe. That's because seeing is not really believing either. It's not just a little sound. You can watch Jesus do what Jesus does, and you're still not sure what you saw. So it isn't that easy. If I could just see Jesus, I would know and I would believe and we would all understand. Gospel of John is a powerful witness. No, you might not. I might not. Because seeing is not always believing either. It can be confusing for us 
we might not understand, but there is still more if you turn back to the text again. When Jesus is troubled, and he's troubled in his soul, the text says, verse 30, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everything to me. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. When Jesus is troubled in his soul, when it's not clear to us, it seems very clear to him. He used the, line, the lines earlier, my soul is in anguish like Psalm 6, like the prayer in Gethsemane, oh, my soul, my soul is troubled. It's exceedingly sorrowful. He says in Matthew, if it's possible, let this pass. And Jesus has this internal moment, and then he says, no, no, no. It was for this moment I came. Right, God? And a kind of communication happens between God and Jesus that those of us standing around don't seem to understand. We are confused, but Jesus understands. It's time for evil to be exposed. That's what it means when we read God will be glorified. It's time for the devil to be exposed for who the devil is and what the devil's been doing. It's time for the world to know who God is to be lifted up. And, and when that happens, it, people will naturally be drawn. And the cross does all of this. This is what the hour is about. This is what's about to happen. And in the midst of all of it, at the core this morning, I'm suggesting there's an anchor relationship there between Jesus and God. We might not be able to understand what all the revelation is about, what messages we're supposed to be receiving. Is it thunder? Is it an angel? But we cannot miss there is something between Jesus and God. It's clear to them, God and Jesus. As soon as Jesus asked the question, Jesus knew. In some kind of communication they, between the two of them, they are so close and so constant to one another. Jesus knew what was to happen. We go forward because this is the work we're about. Yes, for this hour I have come. Sandra O'Day argues that there ought to be a theological category called relationship. And I think that's an interesting thought. As, as we look at these relationships these few weeks, see if you think the same thing. There ought to be something called relationship, just like there are categories for atonement and for uh, salvation and justification and sanctification in the last days and the human condition and the second coming. Categories that we know how to talk about these things. I'm not sure we do, but we work on it real hard. What if there is a category, she says, called relationship? A theological category. And all of these find their place under that umbrella. All of them are an expression of who God is and who Jesus and God are together and what this extravagant plan is about. When I look at the banners that Marianne Yorteg made, it's so clear to me. I didn't, I didn't know exactly what was going to be on these banners, and I am, so, I am so impressed with how they express what's happening in the hour when God is to be glorified. For the expressions on these banners are specific about what God and Jesus are attempting. Love, love which is kind and, and which always knows the truth, and love which perseveres, and love which is not self-seeking, and that is exactly what's supposed to be happening in the hour that Jesus has come for. They know, God and Jesus know, it just seems that the humans standing around them are not quite sure. 
and I wonder, in Adventist Christianity, because we seem to do fairly well with these, our propositional truths and these categories, and, and the gospel in particular, gospel of John, he likes to help us tell us what we should think about certain things we've just read. You read something and John will say, and this happens so that you would know that, and this happens so that you could understand this, and, and John attempts to line these things up for us out of the other side of his mouth. I wonder, I wonder if in creating our categories and trying to understand our theology and all the, the very specific details we work on, if is it possible that we can miss the relationship theology woven into and the totality of it actually in this story? Is it possible to miss it? That we know about everything else except for this powerful, powerful relationship, which is the foundation of all other theology. God is love. God and Jesus together are love. They knew it. There is a little apocryphal story told about a family who moved to, from the crowded city to Montana. Seems to be a popular place for people to go who want open space. And they got lots of acreage there. They couldn't decide what they wanted to name their ranch. When the visitors came to town, they asked, what do you call this place? And they said, well, we really haven't named it yet because we all have a different idea of what we should call it. Everybody in the family had their own name for the new ranch. So they compromised, and here's the name of their ranch. It was called the Bar J Suzy Q Flying W Lazy Y Last Chance Big Kahuna Cattle Ranch. And the visitor asked, where are the cattle? And they said, well, we, we don't have any cattle. They didn't survive the branding. <laughs> they didn't survive the branding. And I wonder how many of us haven't survived the branding, haven't come out the other side for all the propositional truth I've been taught and you've been taught, for all the specific truth that we know and the details from Scripture that we've accumulated, and we're very careful about this as we study our Bible, is it possible we haven't survived the branding that out the other side we've missed this one thing? Can you miss God is love? Can you miss the relationship between Jesus and God is so secure, so like-minded, of one and the same. When Jesus cries out in anguish, God is there. When God is probably in anguish somewhere else, Jesus is there. It's as if they're embracing each other in this anchor relationship in the gospel story. God is love and God's coming after creation. Is it possible we can miss that? through this season as we move to Easter and Resurrection Weekend. We had, a few weeks ago, a little man wander in off the street, off of Myrtle Wood in the back door of my office here. I usually keep the office door closed for this reason. Now the man came in, and he was a little older man, went walking with a cane, and I thought, I'm probably safe. You know, I can maybe move quicker if I'm in trouble here caught me off guard because I had a couple at the table. We were having a conversation together. It wasn't a crisis. It was a pleasant meeting, and it was okay. We were just a little startled. Who is this guy walking in off the street? 
He came in, stood in the doorway. I stood up, went over to greet him. He said, he, you know, he's driven by this church for years and years and years, and he always wondered what was inside. So this seemed like the day to check. So we learned he had a little bit of a Methodist background, and he did own a Bible, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and he was most curious what, what it looked like inside of an Adventist church because he'd never been in one. He'd heard of the Adventists. He knew somebody, actually, in Australia. It didn't go so well for them, he remembered. They got kicked out of their Adventist church. So he wondered what it looked like in the church. Well, I'm in the middle of something, and I thought, this is kind of bizarre. <laughs> Do you want to look at the church, I asked him. He said, that, yes, that's what I'd like. So I let him out this backside of the office door. We spoke for five, ten more minutes at the doorway, learned a little bit more about him, and said, you know, walk around all you want. There's an exit right back there. You'll see the sign, people working out in the front offices. Don't scare them. Kind of let them know you're here. As you, as you walk out, you can get out easy to your car. Nice to meet you. Got his name. Wrote it down. Closed the door, looked back to the couple. I said, I'm so sorry. This, you know, never happened while I've been here. You know, it's okay. What are you going to do? They were very understanding. We went on with our meeting. Five minutes later, that door opened. Back into the office. And here he is again. I said, are you all right? Oh, he said, I am so, so perplexed. I cannot believe what I saw in your church. And I'm confused. I've never seen anything like this before. I've been a Christian all my life, and I've never seen anything like this in a Christian church. And I looked everywhere, and I looked everywhere, and could you please explain to me why there is no cross in your church? Do you believe in the cross? I said, well, yes. Are you Christians in this church? Well, yes. Well, why is there no cross anywhere inside there where you worship? That is the mo Are you a cult, he asked. And we've been down that road, haven't we, denominationally? Are you a cult? Oh, no, no. And we began a conversation with him, helping him to understand why you could come inside a Christian church and not find a cross anywhere. This was before the banners were up. There wasn't even a cross up here on the material we did our best at what I think are rather lame reasons why I can't find even one cross in a church where I worship and minister. And I wondered, talking to him, can you become so Protestant that we can miss out? The longer we talked and the conversation went on and on and on, and an hour later, and I kept thinking, but, you know, we have to get done with this. We have the next appointment and the next thing, and the longer we talked, then, then the story came out, and his wife's recently died, and he was sad, and he could relate to the people who I was speaking with, and more conversation, and we had to get a Bible, and he, he needed a translation he could read, and we gave him one of our Bibles, and the longer and longer we went on, I thought, yes, now this is the message of the cross. It is all grounded in relationship. We ought to be very careful as we're reading our gospel story that we don't miss it, that we don't quickly move over to look for more substantial truths that we can put in our theological place. There is nothing more substantial. God is love. Jesus is love. They came after this world together 
in love. This is a relationship story. That is the headline. We do glorify the King of Kings, the great I Am. Dismiss us, God, knowing that the hour, your hour, God and Jesus coming to this world is upon us. In the power of that relationship story, may it take us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.